Matt Dwyer here, and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. If you wish to become a bigger part of the world of Conversations with Dwyer, go to themattdwyer.com slash shop and purchase a T-shirt or a phone case with the Conversations with Dwyer logo right on it. It's that little head, round head thingy. Uh, that was created by Charlene Yee. That'll help support the podcast and spread the word. Also, you could become a Patreon subscriber. You could also find that link at thematwire.com. For $5 a month, you get extended interviews, video versions of the interviews. You get bonus episodes, all kinds of extra content, sometimes blogs. And there's different tiers, but the $5 one definitely is, I think, affordable for everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Please support the podcast. And now let's listen to this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called You May Be Blue from the album To Find Me Gone by Vetiver. And my guest today is Andy Kabeck, who is pretty much Vetiver. It's pretty much him. There's other people, but it's like, it's always him. I don't know who the other guys are. They've intermingled. I, one of my friends has played with Vetiver, Dan Aid. Um... And he plays with everybody on earth. He's a great guy. And he was in a band called The Broken West, a band I really liked. So anyway, if you liked that song from Vetiver, in the show notes, there's the Vetiverse website. There's links to that. There's links to Andy's band camp. So please go buy music. I can't emphasize that enough. I know I've really been pushing that hard during the pandemic, especially now that shows are open. You know, it's a great way to really support your favorite artist is buy, like, merch. A record, a cassette, a shirt, a mug, whatever the fuck they have, buy it because you might be, that also could be their breakfast the next day. And that's important when you're on the road. I've been on the road and I've been broke on the road and it fucking sucks. <laughs> so it sucks. I did a gig where I made a Subway 12, one of the footlongs last for two and a half days. Uh, I also had to buy a bottle of wine to get through the shows because it was brutal. Um, so I had to make the bottle of wine last two shows. Um, so please support music, buy the merch and speaking of merch, you heard me, I have it too. Go to the Um, and if, by the way, if you're listening for the first time and you like Andy and you like Vetiver's music, I've had a ton of other artists that you would like on the show. So go to my website and hit the listen button and I'll show you all the past musicians I've had. And listen to some more episodes. And tell your friends about the show. That really helps me a lot. You know, you could wear a t-shirt, and then they can go, hey, what's that? And you'd be like, this podcast I've been listening to, it's great. Okay, that is it. Thank you very much for listening. Please enjoy my conversation with Andy Kabik of Vetiver. You I mean, when I moved to San Francisco a long time ago, there was so many used record stores and so many used bookstores. It was like you could even get to them all in a day. And um, <laughs> now there's like um, there's less, you know, there's there's, you know, a handful and they're all still really good. And um, some of them are still there from when I moved here. But um, 
So, you know, maybe there's some equilibrium that's found itself, you know, with there being people are more interested that medium is still popular for, or is becoming, it's kept captivating for people and, but there's less stores, you know, of it, you know, to go to. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I grew up in Chicago and there was the same thing. There was used bookstores and used records like, and it wasn't in the nineties, you know, the records kind of petered out, but so you could find, you know, I bought like an old Smothers Brothers album. That's probably who knows what that's worth, but I got it for a dollar because no one gave a shit for that brief window of time. I regret not buying mm-hmm. buying more in that window of time. Mm-hmm. I, but they're probably still there. Smothers Brothers are probably still waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even like. I have a bunch of old comedy records. I don't even listen to them, but I can't seem to get rid of them because I, I don't know why. That's, that's an interesting thing. I don't own any comedy records. Tell me, but tell me what what is it about comedy records? Did you do you do you listen to those? Them they they. I mean, I have like Lord Buckley and like um, Lenny Bruce or something. But like, but like, do do you, do you, do they hold the same? Um, can you listen to those jokes again and again, and they still hit you? Uh, you know, I haven't listened to a lot of them in a very long time. Oh yeah, so you've probably forgotten the jokes by now. Yeah, I did revisit some Steve Martin. Like because I played the King Tut song for my daughter. Oh yeah! Oh and, nice! And she loved it. And then I just yeah. started listening to the rest <laughs> of the album, and I was like, like as a kid, I was really attracted to his like very bizarre and weird stuff. And so I forgot that he has like a lot of really great, well crafted jokes and like really smart, like about philosophy and stuff that yeah. I totally forgot about. Yeah. That's a good record to, to revisit. That's funny. I just, I think about that as like, not like a one and done, but you know, like it, that's like a different, those records were made for a different time when, um, you'd have people over and like the stereo is like, you know, the focus of attention and everyone might like, you know, concentrate on what they're listening to and have an evening's entertainment provided by their stereo, you know, like, um, which is not so common anymore. It's it's weird because I used to just sit in front of the record player and just throw stuff down all night, and I don't. I mean, I can't because yeah. it's like you know, kids and the TV. Yeah. But I'm like, I miss uh, partaking in some marijuana and just listening to <laughs> records. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a it can be a very emotionally uh, restorative thing to do. You know, you can very you can really. Um, it's part of the reason I think. Uh, all my whole life, but even more so the last couple of years, it's like, um, I've returned to like reading a lot. I, I've always been a big reader, but like, you know, because, um, the pace is, I've, you know, you can go at your own sort of mental pace. I think records fit that for me too. Um, you know, um, I, I find that I've really disconnected from like films and TV shows and things like that. And I think it's because the, the, the demands on my attention are so total that you have to very, you know, you have to, I mean, I guess this isn't so true. There are all kinds of films that ask, uh, less or a lot of you but reading i can i can go at my own pace and i can i can get involved with an idea and then i can stop and stare off into space for a while while i like think about that idea or and then come back to the page and like i don't know there's something about that 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 really resonates with me that um and records too in that sense like you know 
but you have so many demands on your time. I, I am not a parent and I can't, yeah, I mean that, that alone right there says everything. So, you know, I still like obsessively listen to music and I, do you do this with books? This is what I've been doing lately where I, I used to be like, I have to finish this fucking book, but now I have like four or five books I'm reading and I'm just like, I'll bounce, but and I'm like, if, if I finish it, I finish it. I'll finish it when I finish it. Like there's no urgency. Have you, yeah. uh, do you, are you doing Well, that? yeah, I used to work at a used bookstore. I was a book buyer at a used bookstore. And so just working there for a few years, uh, broke me of the habit you're talking about. I, yeah, I, I, I read many books all the time because, you know, um, I would get a book and be in the middle of reading it. And then that day, 10 other incredible books would come across. <laughs> my, and I just, it, there's no way I could just hold on to reading one at a time. It, it, it kind of, but yeah, so no, I, if, uh, um, yeah, it, it if, if something's not holding my attention, this goes for everything, uh, films and TV. So I, I just stop and I just switch to something else. I, I, I have no sense of like, I've got to finish something like that. Yeah. yeah. I used to, I just, I don't know if it's like the Irish Catholic thing, but I, like I'd feel guilt and shame if I didn't finish a book. And, <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm sort yeah. of like, I'm going to finish it, but I just don't feel the And It's like, you know, I have some books of poetry, so I'll just like, bought between like a memoir or something you know oh yeah that's great that genre switching is key yeah I, i'm always going between fiction and nonfiction. yeah how did you when you worked in a used bookstore because i've always wanted to work in either that or a record store and i was like how did you just not buy or did you buy everything i bought a lot of books yeah <laughs> definitely yeah 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 that was my job to buy books but i would also buy them for myself too and um yeah. I mean, I've never worked at a used book, a record store and I still have a ton of records. So I think I, I definitely grew up at a time when the idea and, and the people who I met when I was first doing music all had like great book, sh book collections and great album collections. And that was something that at a young age seemed really important to me to like have a library of some kind like, um, and you know, this last year when I was kind of stuck at home a lot, it was, I've, I felt really happy to have that because I, I could, reconnect with things that I didn't haven't paid attention to for a while. I've kind of gotten out of the habit of buying records and books sort of, I've just been rediscovering the ones that I've already owned. But, um, but yeah, uh, definitely bought a lot of books at, when I worked at the bookstore. Yeah. That's, was that just a constant barrage of, I mean like finding new stuff. I mean, that's a, to me, that sounds like a dream job. Well, it's a, it was a great, it was a dream job. It was, um, it's art, it was aardvark books. They're oh, on yeah. church and market street in San Francisco. And, um, I worked there around 2000 to 2003. I worked there at the same time, just about a year and a half after I moved to San Francisco. And so I fully found my place in the city, uh, working there. Um, because, uh, just even the walk from my apartment to the bookstore, I, I could walk there from my apartment, um, put me, walk me through the mission down the main thoroughfare of 16th street onto church street. And that walk twice a day. Um, I ran into people, you know, figured out what was going on, made plans, uh, stopped at another bookstore to hang out for a while. And then people would come to Aardvark and, um, I was in the first few bands I played in the vetiverse got started there. <clears throat> I met my partner there. So that's a huge role in my life, that bookstore actually. Yeah. And, um, and it was like, yeah, it was a great job. I, I only, I only left it when my touring, uh, made me have to always get cover my shifts 
and I, I felt bad about that all the time, like making, you know, um, asking someone else to cover it for me. So eventually that's why I quit. Yeah. I briefly worked at a bookstore and they, they opened a bar. So I was bartending. So oh yeah. after a couple of pops, you would <laughs> just go and spend my money on books. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like, and you get a disc, you get some kind of a discount. I'm, I'm assuming or something. Yeah. But I still just like would come home and I'd just be like, Oh, I just spent everything I just made. So, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's any record store that sells booze and whatnot it's just like that's just that's just that's danger that is pure danger. well yeah yeah my collection now is 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 slightly esoteric and weird because after moving a couple times i kind of had to thin things out and decided to just hold on to the books that were going to be somewhat irreplaceable you know like hard to find or you know uh, or or that i hadn't read yet and really wanted to read you know and and couldn't find another copy i guess if i wanted to do that so so yeah what i have now is sort of like a lot of art books a lot of um strange fiction and stuff like that that is not so easily easy to come by and i just sold things that were like you know the Odyssey or something like that that you could get anytime you needed a copy yeah. or something. Yeah, I was looking at that record because I just moved and I was like, how would you move with... I mean, that looks like you have at least a thousand records. <laughs> like, yeah, I have more than that. I mean, I, uh, I, well, we, we moved, um, I moved from the apartment I'd been in for 12 years to sort of a place that we had to like a scaled down to like a one bedroom while we were figuring out what we were going to do. So everything went to storage and just sat in storage. And then, um, and then we moved to this house in the East Bay where we'll live for the foreseeable future. And then, so then I just went from storage to here. And, uh, so, and then, and then, yeah, so it got moved a, a couple of times. There were lots of boxes, but you know, it just took it in stages basically. Yeah. Then I didn't have to do anything like over a period of like a couple of days when I knew we were going to move, I would like slowly box up my records and take a few boxes at a time to the storage, which was just, you know, not even a mile away. So we, we, we made it easy on ourselves in that way. But, um, yeah. How did you, this is totally a selfish question on my part, but I'm fascinated that I've, that you referenced Lord Buckley, which you don't hear much these days. Well, because of you know he's a uh, uh, famous for doing routines in like the North Beach jazz clubs and so forth, and and um, I, th- I probably came to him through surrealism. Who uh, you know, it seems like the people who post surrealists and and people who uh, followed that sort of proto beatnik uh, way of thinking, he was always talked about as uh, you know an icon of like. Uh, idiosyncratic ways of connecting thoughts and just having, you know, his own way of doing things. He seems pretty inimitable. So I'm sure that's, that's how I uh, heard about him was through all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, you especially, yeah, moving to SF and wanting to like understand the neighborhoods and like, and the time and stuff, you're, you, you would always, you come up about, you know, Lenny Bruce and, and Lord Buckley all the time, you know? Yeah. I can't remember the name of the club. Just speaking of, Steve Martin like had his first like professional gigs in North. The Hungry Eye, probably. I don't know if it was, but the first time I went to San Francisco, I made a point to go the Hungry Eye, and there was one other. Oh, no, there's a, yeah, because um, the Hungry Eye was also, or maybe it still is, like a strip club. If I'm not. Yeah, mistaken. all those. It feels like that all around that zone now, but um, yeah, you have to kind of imagine. You have to go back and think about how cool it would have been when 
when that area was a little more livable or it felt a little more, you know, less, uh, even when I lived in SF, that would be where I would go to if I wanted to play tourist in my own town, you know, uh, uh, it's never, it's hard to connect with, you can fit, you catch glimpses of it at city lights and at Vesuvio and you can kind of imagine, um, the coffee shops and stuff you could kind of make your you go back in time and some of the people are still there but uh it, it increasingly less i think there's a beatnik museum too there that has stuff but yeah um but yeah i, I, I the first time i went there was like 93 so it was still pretty like the hungry oh, eye yeah. was pretty pretty ratty and, yeah and it, it and some of the uh, performers will say were seemed like their last stop <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. you said I read that you that San Francisco has always been an influence. Was that sort of like a a mecca before you moved there to 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 get to San Francisco? Or well, you know, I had visited. Um, I had a band when I was in college, and we toured the country and played out there, and we had a really great time. Uh, the city really struck me when I visited. That would probably be like ninety five or something like that, ninety five or ninety six or something. So. Um, and we knew, uh, we, we had played shows with this, this group called the champs or the fucking champs was what they had to change their name to because the original champs were the ones who did like tequila and then, um, and some other, and I was a big fan of groups like, uh, thinking fellers union, uh, which was a band that I saw when they played, I lived in North Carolina before I moved to San Francisco and saw them when they came through touring and, um, uh, you know, I was fascinated by like the residents and like that, that kind of vibe of, um, San Francisco, um, stuff. So, um, so those were that, like having visited one time and played here and, and all the, the legacy of stuff, uh, that had taken place here was like really compelling. And basically, um, I finished school in North Carolina and, um, some friends out here had an apartment and they had, um, basically the building next door caught fire. And so they all had to leave the apartment while for repairs, but the landlord was nice enough to say, you know what, when the repairs are done, you guys could have this again. I'm, I'm holding this apartment for you. So some people just decamped and moved to different parts of the city and didn't need their rooms again. Some of them went back to North Carolina. And in the meantime, they're like, you know, there's going to be a room opening up for you if you want it you can have it so i had a place when i moved out to uh to move to and um and uh i also worked at kinko's and for a while in the 90s kinko's was like you know like the um it was like uh, i don't know how to explain it you could transfer from branch to branch you know oh, really? it was a way yeah you could easily do that and so that's what i did i transferred from the branch in greensboro north carolina to uh the one on van ness and actually old friends of mine had already moved out here to go to the art institute and they were at different kinkos i thought i might work with them but that's not what happened we all worked at three different kinkos um yeah and i kept that job for a few months until i realized that it was vastly different than the one i uh moved here from so when i moved out here i had a place to live and a job right away albeit a hall closet to live in and a (laughs) and a kinko's yeah still man it's better than starting cold that's uh fucking terrifying yeah my rent was 150 dollars. i lived in a hall closet i had two hall closets one for my one the size of a bed 
and wanted to put all my stuff in. Yeah. I lived in a pantry for a while, so it's... Yeah, exactly. I think you all, you, everyone has to submit to some kind of, humi- you know, yeah, but uh, my, humiliation like that. I, my, it fit a twin bed perfectly with a little bit of space for my shoes. Yeah. And I remember my mom, because, you know, I was trying to do creative things in Chicago, and my mom's like, I don't know if things are... And I'm like, I'm 20. I'm supposed to be in a <laughs> <Yeah>. fucking closet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. But, and Kinko's... Well, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, the, the key to that is that you're paying such little money that it allows you the flexibility to, to do whatever you want to really want to be doing, you know? Yeah, that's the name of the game. I don't know yeah. how... I don't know how the younger generation like i've read a piece of, about a lot of people like just moving to the same cities but just living in their cars and like actually making yeah. their vans into like really yeah cool but still you're living in a van type homes yeah but i don't like i'm like is the culture gonna pop up in like some random weird suburb now like new music mo- like i don't like it can't happen yeah. in like la's like fucking impossible <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of factors that make what seem like the weight of doing things uh, uh, generations past less likely now. Uh, that what you mentioned and the job aspect. Um, yeah, I'm I'm baffled. You, also, you have a lot of technologies and so forth making making people more accessible to do things in a solitary sense. I think that's part of the reason why it feels like you're seeing less bands in some ways because it's a lot harder to to, to, to you know all that's involved with a band means a rehearsal space, practicing, sort of like can you, can the project you're doing sustain a, a you know a livelihood or the involvement of like multiple people. So it seems like a lot of times you're seeing solo projects um, because that's how people can make a go at the music, you know, business or something like that. I don't know. But I think about that as part of it too. Yeah. I can it's, I'm optimistic. Like I'm like, they'll, the younger folk will figure it out. Like, and I'm like, I'm, I don't know what they're going to do, but it's kind of interesting to see how, where it will spring up and what the, exactly it's going to be. Cause it's such a yeah. different world. I think, Cheap living is key, though, right? It's got to be... That's kind of what makes it all happen. It gives you the free time. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have rent that I fucking loathed until, like, 10 years ago in California. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, I lived... You know, I fell asleep to gunshots, and I was glad to hear them. Yeah. Because it was keeping my rent low. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Yeah. When did you make the switch? Because you were in some bands, and, like, I... I like uh, and I, I forget like the Tassel was like a more of an instrumental band was that drastically different than Vetiver? Yeah, that's pretty different. Uh Tussle is um like a direct result of of the apartment I lived at in San Francisco. Basically, it wouldn't have happened without uh that. Uh we lived on 16th and South Venice and we had um the bottom up apartment in a building filled with like skaters and creative people. And so we had access to the basement. So um, my roommates, uh, two of which were old friends of mine from North Carolina, and they went to the Art Institute. And one of them sort of welded together in like a sculpture class, like a junk kind of percussion pieces just for fun. And so we started messing around in the basement uh, improvising. And um, so that's Tussle came out of that, uh, just kind of improvising and then turning those uh jams into you know songs i guess and um yeah when did you just like 
was there a decision or just sort of an organic move towards what you're doing with vetiver so vetiver would be uh in, in that same apartment at the same time of my life but uh someone gave me an acoustic guitar and um actually they gave it to me when i moved out to san francisco and so i I had been in bands before, but they were more uh, like Sonic Youth sort of inspired bands. And this was me teaching myself how to play acoustic guitar, how to finger pick, um, how to like, you know, and what, what came out of that basically, which was songwriting that was, you know, more suited to that instrument. And, you know, since I've always been a digger and interested in getting records and discovering stuff, of course, I'm listening to folk and all this different kinds of influences that are inspiring my writing. And so vetiver came out of that. Basically I got to a point where I had songs, but I didn't really too shy to perform them by myself. So eventually I met Devendra Banhart. And, um, the first time I think I played with vetiver was like just he and I, and then I met Alyssa Anderson and Jim Gaylord, who I knew from North Carolina and they joined on cello and violin. And so we would play shows as a four piece and then it was always changing. Was was there was that hard to to because you said you were shy and I just was wondering like did you entertain the idea of doing it solo at all or is it that not even because I understand you know you. I didn't I didn't really play my first solo show until uh, like two years ago oh wow <laughs> yeah so so yeah how how did you I mean you know you've been doing it long enough at that point was it still kind of nerve-wracking or was it just like I don't yeah know. you know I, I think I always just made uh up excuses to not do it it's always first of all music for me is so much uh, uh more fun and interesting when you're collaborating you know when you have someone to play with just the melodic it's just so much better to share the stage with somebody and to have that rapport. And, uh, so it wasn't until, um, you know, it finally clicked to me. Well, I kept always saying no to things basically. And then I realized that I needed to not just say no, that that's not the way to, to, <laughs> to do this. <laughs> so, I, so I realized, I realized that what it really just took was like, and I think I had a discussion with my friend David Katz Nelson. Actually, he might have told me. Really, he's like, just get a set together, man. He's like, just just figure out your set, and and that's it, you know. And I was like, that's exactly what it is. So I just, yeah, I just practice basically. And I, but then I had to reorganize these songs and sort of refigure out how to play them so that they were melodically a little more, you know, uh, complex or more, you know had all the elements. I, it might've been that the part that I would play in a group setting would be very simplistic and on its own, the part had to have a little more depth to it. So that's what, what it kind of meant was like reengaging with the songs to figure out how they would work, um, for that sort of thing. But yeah. Um, and I like it. And now I, now I've played quite a, I did a tour of the UK that way. And I did, um, it's fun. I, I found a way to, that it's fun, you, but I think it, yeah, it scared me before that. Do you find the way that you engage with the audience is different from when you're with a, with a group of people and, or opposed to just you? Well, you know, see, that's the part I don't really know how to do. I don't, I don't really engage with the audience so much. I, I'm not, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't got enough of this under my belt to have really, it's more out of just filling awkward silences and, you know, moving things along. I'm not a natural storyteller or right. a very good, like, you know, talker that way. But it's also that's not quite me. I don't know. That's a thin line. Cause sometimes 
I don't know. I've seen some live shows, and I'm like, okay, we got the story, guy. <laughs> like, yeah, not, yeah, not I've to seen be, that too. Not to be rude, yeah. like I, some people are incredibly engaged. Like if Johnny Cash was telling a story, I'd be like, all right, it's Johnny Cash telling a fucking story. What are you going to do? Which yeah, be, for sure. That's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a really great story because he's dead, and it would be impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. I th- I think what I found, or what I my hope is, is that. You know, I'm a really quiet uh, singer. I'm a quiet singer. And a lot of times uh, in the years of touring and playing uh, with Vetiver, people will, um, it'll be hard to hear me sing uh, over the volume of the band, uh, over the volume of a sound guy that might be trying to push my vocal up as loud as he can, but there's a limit to what can be done. So I think that in some ways, I've, I've, the feedback I've gotten is that when people come and see me play solo or duo sets, they like that they can hear the song. Uh, it's not just that you're hearing the sort of like basic sketch of the song, but it's composite parts, but yeah, you're able to hear me articulate the lyrics and sing a little clearer in a way that, uh, wasn't always easy to do. So I think that must be compelling for the people that come buy tickets to see me play. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> were you, cause I know you're a Michael Hurley fan and who wouldn't be, but like, were you a fan of, a, or inspired by a lot of those? Cause he's obviously done a lot of stuff without a band, right? Oh yeah. I mean, he's like the gold standard for how to live a life in music. If he, in terms of success at his own pace, um, what, whatever that means to him, you know, he plays like, you know, um, farmers markets and just like really low key vibey places all the time. Um, and he's not much of a talker. I know when he plays, he doesn't really talk hardly at all. Um, he just lets the music talk and his songs are very funny. And that, that is one of the hardest things to do well in music, I think. And he's able to be super himself, uh, authentic, um, really clever, idiosyncratic finger picking style. Um, very personal and, um, and these amazing songs, you know? So yeah, definitely huge inspiration to me for sure. Yeah. I've tried to, I've emailed with him. I've almost got him on. And I'm blame when you said he's not a big talker. I was like, maybe that's why he, cause he'll respond and we'll go back and forth <laughs> and then he'll yeah. stop. You can get him. He, he's, I've definitely been with him when he's been in moods to talk, but I, I guess I meant he's not much of a talker when he performs live. I don't, I, I've seen him play dozens of times and, you know, I don't think of him as being, talkative yeah has he are you still in touch with him pretty regularly you know i haven't talked to him in, in a couple of years actually I, I need to reach out to him um i would love to reconnect but i haven't talked to him in a while but there was a time when we talked uh regularly and would and we'd run into each other you know was i've i've read something that you guys wrote something together and then i tried to follow up on that and i couldn't find anything and i maybe there's a flaw in my way of research but i I'm pretty apt. No, we've never we've never written together. So, okay, I, that would be no an honor. No, I've never. Uh, but we've worked together, um, recorded together, um, toured together. Yeah, that's pretty. Does he does he ever divulge some good tales from days of old? You know, I would never ask him if he he didn't proffer them unasked. Um, mostly, we just you know 
he would i would just put on tunes i thought he'd dig in the van when we drove on a couple runs we only did tours where we shared the same car i think one stretch into canada or around the pacific northwest um that was a long time ago i remember i played a buddy holly uh bob montgomery record in the car and he really loved that he was really into that but um yeah, no, no stories are coming to mind per se. I, I didn't really ask for that, but he didn't, yeah. and he didn't really offer it's, it. It's just sometimes those guys who've been around a while will sometimes trip into one. Like, uh, oddly, uh, like I've been around Wayne Kramer a lot, and he hasn't offered me. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, and I work with his charity, so, uh, and I'm oh, friends cool. with Oh, cool. Uh, but, so, like, you know, and our kids are, one of our kids are the same age, so we used to live nearby and get together, but, you know, he never, but then I would hear from other people like, oh man, Wayne told this story about him and Iggy and like stealing trucks and like stealing. Wow. And I was like, I never get those fucking stories. Yeah. <laughs> but you're kind of always, I'm always on edge. Like is today, today going to be the day where I yeah. get that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe you just have to like sense a, like a reflective glint in their eye or something like that when they feel like reminiscing or something yeah Every, everything always was more, a little more in the moment our, our talks of like whatever was happening at that time or i don't know yeah was it could was there anything you just learned working with him or being around watching him work so much was there anything you took from that or um I don't know. Just a just a very uh, workmanlike way of doing things. Um, you know, very straightforward. Um, he always ran his own merch merch table, which I often do too. Um, which I found, you know, it allowed him to engage with the people afterwards. Just the ability, just the the, no, the fun and um, righteousness of playing. Uh, out of the way places for a you know uh, a fair door you know like seems like a good thing to do i think it's like a, a an ongoing uh um lesson that i learned growing up going to see like fugazi shows or something like that you know like uh these five dollar bills i'm not saying i i often pay shows for the five dollar doors but but i'm always open and interested in playing far-flung places to small audiences to interested audiences um where you know the vibe is nice and you know comes it's almost comes out of punk rock although that's not the context i've ever seen hurley play in but just these kind of cool hippie houses where they make you a nice meal. You play outside. The lighting's nice. People are friendly. Um, that's a lot of the places I've seen and play shows with him. And, and, um, they're always great times, you know? Um, and he's, and it's just a while to see him always playing. I mean, he's, I don't know what age he is now, but he plays to really young people who are stoked to see him play. They know his material. Um, there's, you know, it's I should be so lucky to to ever get to his age and be able to do what he's doing the way he does it. It's really incredible. It is. It's I feel like and there's a lot of guys who are older who still just have that passion. And I feel like that just keeping active is going to keep you from 
you know, like look at like Mel Brooks is still like viciously fast and funny. And it's like, I think it's just like you don't sit still. You just keep working at what you love and you're not going to turn to mush. I hope it's that simple. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, and you write and you write great songs into your 60s and 70s, which he still does, too, which is, you know, hard to do. Yeah, because you listened. To, I know you said that you to write, you have to listen to music. And I was how much of what you're listening to influences what you're directly doing at the time? Is that or reading? Oh, wow. Did I say that? That's interesting. <laughs> I, that, 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 that might that might explain why I haven't been writing that much music. I need to I need to listen to more music. It's the first. It's, that, it's, oh, I was just going to say that could not, be that. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, that, I was that, just going to say, it's not the first time I brought something up that I read someone say, and then they're like, I said that? And I was like... <laughs> well, that definitely does happen, for sure. A lot of songs I've written come from listening to something else, and and the inspiration was enough to motivate me to run to my instrument and work on something. Um, that ha- that approach hasn't happened in a while, but... Um, but what was your question? I forgot. Oh, just uh, what you're... It, does what I'm listening to in like directly affect what you're working on or reading. It can, can, yeah. I mean, um, and reading can too, although I haven't had, um, it did seem when I was younger, much more impressionable to where those things would directly affect my writing. And I think now it's more like, you reflect back on other things you've written. It's you're looking back against yourself in a certain sense and like what would make sense to do in light of other work you've done or, or um, what feels, it feels sometimes uh, acoustic guitar. I, I need to re it's always like learning a new chord or something, some new thing that you're learning that is a gateway to a new piece of music. Cause uh, sometimes it feels like your hands always reach for the same things and that can be boring. Yeah. Um, uh, and by being pretty isolated in the last year, it hasn't really been great for me and my creativity. It's been a challenge to uh, be uh, disciplined enough to, you know, push the ball forward, I guess. Do you uh, do you need like outside stimulus, like to go outside? And that helps. That, oh, uh, that, certainly, yeah. Uh, I have a nice yard that I garden in, and and um, that's been that's been great. But um, um, but also outside stimulus by other musicians and other people who, um, you know, might comment on, might give me some good feedback. Yeah. <laughs> Do you find your creativity goes, cause you said you haven't written anything in a while. Does that, do you tend to have like cycles where it just like bursts and then, and then sort of, no, not really. I'm a really slow, uh, non-prolific writer and going through a, a, a even slower non-prolific moment now. So you're in LA. I, we live outside LA. We live in a town called Monrovia, which is a bit East, like maybe 15, 20 miles East of LA. Cause LA has gotten too far. Well, it, is I when I get plants at the nursery, don't they all say Monrovia on them? Isn't there like, is there like a big like nursery in Monrovia? I don't know. I know there's uh, the Trader Joe's is here. The Trader Joe's headquarters. <laughs> yeah. So that's why everyone, uh, everyone always goes like, oh, I know that I town, see. and I'm like, yeah, it's on your salsa. It's a, I feel like uh, there's a big plant menu, you know, a nursery in Monrovia. There might um, be because there's a lot of nurseries. But uh, yeah, yeah. What are you growing? What do you grow back there? Well, um, I've been uh, planting a lot of California native plants. 
So, uh, so in our front, like just sort of landscapiness, oh, cool. uh, we had a, we had a, z- a little area beside our, uh, driveway that had a big juniper bush that was just like a big cat hotel, rat hotel, kind of huge thing. And we removed it and I sheet mulched that area and planted, um, some fruit trees. So, um, so I've been kind of keeping an eye on those guys and, um, and, um, we have a backyard that we haven't really figured out what to do with yet in terms of permanent raised bed landscaping. It's like an ongoing project of mine to, um, to figure it out. But at, at the moment we have just have some containers, some pots and stuff with some tomatoes and, um, you know, that we're working on. But I live in a very foggy zone. It's like the, the fog comes right through the Golden Gate Bridge and kind of lands right in my yard. Um, so summer's here. It's good and it's, you know, it's just what it is. It's, it's good and bad. It's nice. It's this permanent sort of air conditioning that we have all the time. But it also means like we don't get a very hot real summer until maybe October. But it's like, um, you know, it's not great for tomatoes per se. But then we also don't get frost. So we don't have to worry about it. It's beneficial that way. It doesn't ever get that cold. That sounds fucking perfect. I, w- <clears throat> I want to be your neighbor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot. It's pretty foggy and windy, and, and it's very windy in my backyard. So it's been interesting trying to figure out what plants are don't get you know bedraggled by wind um, uh, that can take it. Yeah, because some of these fruiting plants, you know, if the flower blows off by the if the flower gets blown off, you're not going to get the fruit. So it's like, um, you have to figure out what, how that's going to work. I'm, I'm curious. I just, it's a lot of experimentation. I just planted like a citrus tree in a pot and I'm, I'm kind of curious. It doesn't literally look stoked and I know it doesn't really want wind. So I don't have, I don't have a windless sunny spot to put it in. So it's kind of like, what to see. Yeah. We, I got, I have a couple tomato plants going. I planted an avocado tree. Didn't ask the landlord if I could do that. So we'll see how that lands. Oh, that's cool. But I'm like, who'd be upset that somebody planted an avocado tree in the back? Yeah. But yeah. it's like the first time I've had any kind of success with like tomatoes or anything like that. So it's kind of pretty stoked. Like it's like this yeah. weird, rewarding, peaceful. And I don't even yes. have like, it's not like I'm George Harrison and have acres of, a, of garden <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm doing in Hawaii, which must have been like, what did he do? Just get stoned every morning and garden? Like that sounds like. Yeah. Did he have a big garden? He was like huge into gardening for like the like last couple decades of his life oh that's awesome yeah yeah i mean i think it's really great i mean the thing is we live in california where we're very close to the farms that feed america so you know we we can get really nice produce at very reasonable costs and so so then it kind of you're like what should i be growing because i can go to the farmer's market and get like lettuce the, the most banging lettuce way cheaper than it would cost me to grow it you know it's uh so so yeah you're I, you turn to tomatoes and heirloom things and herbs and stuff like that that you need all the time or that like um or would be expensive like we've just been growing some shiso do you, do you eat shiso i don't know what shiso is it's called paria. It's like a, uh, it's a, it's a basically a kind of like an Asian basil. You might have had oh. it in sushi. Oh, okay. It's often used in sushi rolls, but um, it's delicious and uh, sometimes expensive to find in the store or not easy to come by. Right. So it's like those kinds of things. Yeah, I recommend growing shiso. Yeah, because I have a couple b- basil plants, but I can't seem they'll like be good for a while and then it goes to shit. And I'm like, hmm. and I like. I make a lot of like pizza and stuff, so I like oh, yeah. fresh basil on hand. 
Yeah, shiso is like a comp. It's like almost like the halfway point between mint and basil. That's like that sounds like heaven in a plant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Basil. Yeah, I, it's not growing well for me right now either. But I have some coming up from seed, so we'll see. Oh, yeah. Are you going from seed? I got, I I cheated and got plants. I wanted to do tomatoes. Oh, from that's seed. not cheating. Yeah, that's not cheating. That's okay. just it's another like, another way of doing it. If yeah. you say so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean that's like that's like being safe, you know, like starting with something that's already growing and saying can I keep it alive versus like you know, but sometimes I've had some nice luck with seeds uh this year for the first time, so I just thought why not keep trying, you know. Yeah, I feel bad for people in other parts of the, like I have a friend in Toronto and she's like we have nothing that really like there's not a lot of fresh. Yeah. And I'm like fuck, we got like we have a farmers market that's like a direct from the farm like it's not. Yeah. And we that we go to every Saturday and it's like the apricots. It's just like you'll punch somebody in the mouth they're so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean we are that's one of the blessings of of living in the state for sure. I'll pay the yeah. insane fucking rent for that that apricot. It's worth it. Yeah. It kinda, <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. Like, it's... Yeah, I know. It's... Uh, my, I just bought some apricots from the farmer's market, and I did not find them to be as good as the ones that were that were given to me from my neighbor down the way, who, wow. who came over, who, who last year um, texted me and was like, hey, you should come get some apricots. They're, they're like... They have to be eaten now, and they're on my tree, and I've got too many of them. And um, they were incredible. That was the first time I really ever vibed on an apricot. And, like, uh, I think I always had them dried. I never really had a good one fresh. And um, then I went to the farmer's market. I saw them there last week, and I got some, and they were not good. And I texted my friend. I was like, <laughs> hey, not to, be a, not to be a pest here, but any chance you got some apricots you're trying to get rid of? Because these ones I got from the farmer's market were not good. Yeah, these ones I... I uh, like I was the same I was like ah oh, apricots and I just like threw some in oatmeal for the fuck of it and I was like holy shit and like I ate like wow. a t- like I've been eating all the fruits that we've been getting from the- like my wife is like where is everything going I'm like at least I'm not eating potato chips like look on the yeah seriously. yeah exactly <laughs> that's yeah uh but uh, I want. I like. I like. I like your podcast. We're talking about <laughs> fruits and vegetables a lot. Is do you do this with everybody? David, this is great. David Yao and I talked about his chili recipe for a while. So it's. Oh, it's, I want that. Yeah, I know he puts Guinness in it. That's all, and that was like five years ago. I talked to him, but uh, yeah, and Guinness and chili. I was like, that's interesting. I should ask him for it. That seems totally right. I mean, we made this, uh, there's this food lab book. Have you ever seen this cookbook? Yeah, food lab? My, my wife has that. Yeah, the chili recipe there is insane. The, the levels of veggie chili umami that the guy is, he's using like Marmite and like like anchovy paste and a crazy base of chilies, like like four or five different chilies that you like. It's wild. It's like a really complex tasting chili. Yeah, I was thinking how great it is. Like in the old days, you had to just buy a ton of books, which I'd love to do cookbooks, and we have way more than we need. But like now, you could just like get like a whim, just be like, I want to make this and f- figure it out online, like in two seconds. Totally, totally. Because I would probably be a shit cook if it wasn't for that. Like, I, that's me too. I'm I'm completely recipe oriented. Yeah. Yeah, I've gotten a little bit where I can be like, oh, we have this, that, and this, and maybe I could throw something together that won't totally be, you know porridge like bland (laughs) (laughs) but i'm still like i can't like i watch those dudes on tv shows who just like oh 
I'll, and make an amazing meal out of like four things. Can't that's not going to be me. No, that sounds like such a cool skill to have, though. Um, yeah, yeah. There was one thing I wanted to ask you, and I feel like we've gone so far away. <laughs> Which is, I know, <laughs> I'm not a good conversationalist. In the, no, this I'm, is, I'm a, ram- I'm a bit of a rambler. No, this is exact. I like when it goes into these you know directions that were that were i'm like i don't know how we got here but that's the whole because you probably talk about a lot of the same like i talked to uh jen wasner from from y oak yes a couple days ago and i'm like you know her whole album's about heartbreak i'm like don't you get fucking sick of people asking you about the heartbreak (laughs) because like aren't you just want to because you put out the album that's what it was about you just want to move the fuck on don't you <laughs> is that what she said? Was she like, yes? Please. She kind of, yeah. She laughed and was like, yeah. It's and Sunny Smith was that way too. He's like, I, you know, I put the album out. I want to move on. It's like I get it. That's you were dealing with something. Are you pals with Sunny? He's up there. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. I, mean, I haven't seen anybody in a while. But uh, yes, uh, Sunny's great. You're not a part um, of that baseball grouping that goes on up there, are you? No, no. Uh, I'm not. That would be fun. I I have never participated in that. Yeah, I'm not athletic. I just I usually... is that the one where he dresses up like they like they do like period kind of baseball? Oh, I don't know. I just know it's like him and Tim Presley and sometimes um, Kevin Morby and some other. Oh, okay, yeah. And no, I, um, I'm not athletic, so that wouldn't happen for me either. I watch a lot of baseball. On yeah. TV, Giants right? on the list of, list of the radio. Yeah, Giants. Yeah, the radio's great. Like I love. Yeah, there's just you can't. There's something so calm. Like I don't know. It's like the most one of the most zen things in the world. Just to I don't even have to be paying attention. Just that sound is perfect. Yeah, that it's like summer. It's like a yeah. That's very much how I got into baseball was through the local announcers and and um, I would still actually prefer it to. TV, to be honest with you, but they, the, the announcers move back and forth, so they'll they'll go off radio to then be on TV. So there's a fluidity between the two that um, is nice. But did you? Yeah, because you grew up in Virginia and Maryland. I couldn't because I know you would spend yeah. summers with. But I just remember hearing how you would eavesdrop on concerts, which I thought was rather romantic. Oh yeah, my parents were divorced uh, before I, uh, I before I was two, I think. So um, my father lived in Maryland, and my my mother lived in Virginia, and I I lived with my mother, and we visit my father on weekends and summers. So my dad lived in uh, Columbia, Maryland, and so yeah, I would eavesdrop on. Uh, I'd go see a lot of shows at Meriwether uh, Post Pavilion, um, which I could walk to from his house. So, uh, and it, so he took me to the Orioles games, not like maybe like one or two a summer, something like that. Oh, that's pretty. Uh, the because I looked up the Oriole who owns. I was looking for uh, cool baseball. Uh, that's a bad way of wording it, but baseball owners who aren't like right wing shitbags. Yeah, because I grew up a Cubs fan, and their owners are just fucking monsters. <laughs> yeah. So I had to like, I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't. I got to step away. That's how bad they are. I mean, they would have like, you know, they were on Trump's uh, fundraising squad or whatever they call it, and I was just like, yeah, I can't, yeah. can't participate, guys. But the yeah. Orioles owner is a labor union, like a labor lawyer. Like he went and defended a bunch. Oh, that's of- interesting. So I was like, oh, I could get on board with the Orioles. Yeah, I wish they were a better team. I wish they had... (laughs) 
It's com- it's com- I, I don't pay attention. I'm, I'm, I'm not a very deep, knowledgeable person about baseball. I just watch the games or listen to the games every day because I find them soothing. But So I don't really know, but I do know they're not doing that well. Yeah, I, and I don't either. And haven't for years. Yeah. I couldn't tell you what, you know, Johnny, what's-his-face batted. You know, I'm like, I don't Yeah. I can barely keep my checkbook in line, let alone f- pay attention to what someone's batting average is. Well, now, now you're making me want to go watch or listen to your podcast with Eric Johnson because uh, if, you, if you're from Chicago, you guys must have just been like blah, 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 blah. Oh, we did talk a lot about Chicago. I've had a lot of Chicago. And Bill McKay I had on recently, and we also talked about Oh, yes, yeah. He, he's... Eric's a deep, lifelong Cubs fan too. So, I oh, I didn't know that. To... Actually, I don't think we tripped into that, or maybe we did. They all start to blur together after a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I've actually been meaning to message him because it's been a, been a while since I've we were messaging for a while, and because uh, supposedly, supposedly him and Tim Rutili and I are going to get together, but it never, never. Nice. Yeah, Tim also has been on. We also talked about Chicago a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So when (laughs) I just wanted to talk because I thought I found that like a young person eavesdropping on concerts, especially someone who ended up doing music, just seemed kind of romantic to me. And it's like, I didn't know if that was because I know. Well, yeah, I could I could hear them from my I could faintly hear them from like just the front step of our house, my dad's house. But then I would also walk over to Meriwether and wander around the woods a little bit because it's 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 kind of ensconced in these this woods. I mean, now there's development that presses right up upon it. But when I was a kid, that wasn't all that wasn't there. So uh, I used to wander around the woods. Those to be so. Yeah, there's a big connection between sort of like woods and music for me from a young age. There was also a hill across the street. And sometimes I would sit, people would gather there and I would sort of sit on the hill and listen to concerts there too. If, it, if wandering around the woods wasn't possible, um, totally fearless. Now that I think about it, it's really strange. This would be a night to be wandering around the woods would be not <laughs> safe, but it never it even occurred to me. And then I would see, I mean, that's where I saw my first concert without my parents um, at Meriwether and, and would go, you know, many times a summer to see shows there. What was the first concert you saw without your parents? Cool in the Game. Oh, it was cool. I remember reading about Cool in the Game. Uh, I thought, but for some wow, reason, cool. I was under the impression that your dad took you to that or something. How was, how was Cool and the Gang? Were they good? I mean, I was just blown away by live music. I don't remember. That was a very long time ago. I don't really have a memory of that, but I remember memory of many other concerts there. But, um, yeah, I saw everybody there. I saw... It was outdoor? Yeah. And Frank Gehry design building, but kind of like falling apart, a little dilapidated. But, uh, um it's a, I would go there sometimes with my parents and they would take seats and then I would go sit out in the lawn. Like we, we could go, I saw James Taylor that way with them when I was a kid, like, and I, and they got, they had seats and I sat with my friends out on the lawn. That's why I, I would, I would be terrified to let my kid do that. I just remember like at least where I was, <laughs> cause there was always a lot of like really drunk. I mean, I guess I lived yeah. in kind of a white trashy drunk guy area. So it wasn't, I just remember I saw George Thorogood in high school and some guy just got really buddy buddy with me and oh yeah uh, probably offered me booze and stuff and I just remember being like all right dude like I don't know what your thing is but like putting his arm around me and stuff <laughs> yeah the first time I smelled marijuana was at um uh UB40 concert and <laughs> 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 Weather Post Pavilion yeah yeah my first concert was Asia and uh, 
I don't. Nice. Yeah, and I remember trying to be cool and smoking a cigarette, but the cherry fell off. But I still kept doing it. <laughs> so not. And they had a juggler open for them, but it was like a huge outdoor Whoa. venue. And I'm like, why are you? And like, I don't know if it was just like a fuck you or just a big joke. But um, are they lo- are they really love juggling? <laughs> Smart for them. They're probably all on the side of the stage, just wrapped with attention. But yeah, like something. It's got those guys sometimes who open. Like I saw the Police Synchronicity tour and the, the Reflex opened up oh, for them. Amazing. And it was just the whole concert was you know twenty thousand people. In any time there was a silence from the Reflex, or was it the Reflex? Politics of Dancing was their one hit song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The totally. crowd would just yell like "fuck you" like every silent. Moment. And I was like, "Well, when I think back on some of those shows I saw, it's they were those kinds of bands that always supported." I remember I saw Heart twice, but one time with uh, this group called the Cutting Crew opening oh, up for them. them. Yeah, it's it's very similar to the Reflex. Like one scene, you know, like why did that happen? No one. Um, Man, yeah, I saw a lot of shows like that. So that's totally my initiation to music was that was Meriwether Post Pavilion. Yeah, and the and the nine thirty club in DC. Oh yeah, uh, I've been there. The the original one. That that that's where um, I saw a lot of shows. I, as I got older into high school, I would go there a lot. Did you see a lot of that DC scene? Because you mentioned because you were pretty close to that, right? Sort of. I mean, I lived in the suburbs, and um, this is pre-internet, so like it was if I wasn't like a cool kid, so it was re- really had to do with like if a flyer. I didn't have any older siblings or anyone to hit me to stuff, so it was, had to be like if a flyer sort of found its way into my hand and and about a show in DC. So I didn't know a lot of stuff like that, but but I saw Fugazi play a few times, and. Um, and then, of course, something like the 930 where I could pick up a city paper or something like that and see what their concert, those kinds of things I would be more hip to. Whereas I think of sort of like the cool shows that were happening in D.C. were through like positive force and would happen in sort of like uh, sort of, you know, churches or interesting venues that weren't as easy for me to find out about. But um, but then you would go to record stores and maybe there'd be a pile of flyers at like a cool record store or something like that. And that's how you might, you know, find out about those things. Yeah. But um that's kind of yeah. what I was when we were talking about like the younger kids and something popping up is kind of what I I'm wondering if that's going to be like the new like doing shows in churches and VFW halls which still happens a bit but like you know because if it's going to be pushed out it just would be wild to me if like some suburb of Chicago called Schomburg or something became the spot that is now for music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. the hot scene now Schomburg I know. I I think about that all the time. I I don't even know. I don't even know where the hot scene is right now. I'm not sure there is one at this moment. Everyone's just kind of coping. Yeah. But I also don't know if like, yeah. everything is so internet based. Like, is you know, it, I don't know if like a city would be the hot thing anymore. It seems like such a so much has changed that like the way we discover music or that it's presented. That maybe that doesn't happen that way anymore. I don't know. Yeah, that's a disservice. I think it, it, you know, so much of the, what we've uh, valorized, it comes from the ability to have some connection to your community and your your locality, and to come up from that. If if you can have an instantaneous sort of success and connection with people all around the world from your bedroom, which is how it can happen now, that that really changes things in terms of. Uh, 
your sort of uh, support and and your connection to uh, geography and um, the infrastructure in your where you live. So that's I'm sure that's been going on for years now. I'd be curious to see what the careers are like for people who have that kind of uh, success. Yeah. It's different from just playing weekly gigs or playing or opening up for bands all the time at your local club. And then one day you're headlining it and that kind of approach versus just sort of like being famous on TikTok right off the bat and like immediately having like, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers or something like that. Yeah. But if you're not experiencing music in a venue that has a urine soaked dilapidated bathroom, it's not really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, that's the memory that I conjure, uh, just even thinking about the old nine thirty club, because when you used to go to it, they had this really long hallway and, you know, I'm a totally wimpy high school guy and stealing myself to go to this venue and down in the hallway, the person checking ID or whatever, like checking tickets is just like completely tatted up, pierced, you know, hard looking person who's probably a complete softy, but, and then, and you immediately, as you open the door, the first thing you smell is this, this smell, which when they, when they closed the 930, I believe they auctioned it off, which they found out was just like f- fermented, rotten, beer taps or something like that it smelled like it smelled like vomit it was horrible but the smell was this mixture of the patchouli that 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 guy who checking checking id was wearing mixed with this vomit smell of fermented beer it was just awful it was just like so overwhelming it was like the first thing that you confronted when you arrived and um that signified to me just like you're talking about the the urinal scent is like, yes, this is, this is rock and roll. This is music. (laughs) I'm ready for this. I remember like, I, I could think of like, I could probably remember clubs by the scent of the scent. Like, especially like when I first started going to places in high school that people were still allowed to, like I went to this punk club in Chicago and people still could smoke. And I mean, people smoked in Chicago for a long, just stale beer, piss, smoke, anger <laughs> yeah and it stayed all on your clothes when you, oh, you, know, yeah. you took it home you took it home with you you took the smell home with you yeah i lived with a woman for a while and i'd come home and she would not let me in bed unless i showered because i would just, yeah yeah at any bar because you because it mostly because of smoke totally yeah that's true that's such a huge part that that that's uh gone but for the better i think but. <laughs> yeah i agree um just to wind it up, do you have anything you need to plug? Are you going on the road or anything soon? Or I'll just and I'll not really. I mean, um, I have a, a couple, handful of shows, just one-off type things that are happening that are probably on my website or something like that. But all right, nice. Bye. Take Thank care. You. Bye. for listening to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your itunes or what have you not and tell your friends about the show that would mean a lot to me as well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the mattdwire.com or conversations with the wire at the instagram and you could learn more about the show buy merch and all those great things thank you very much for listening